Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. I am so excited for you to hear this episode. I have been waiting a while. Um, This is an interview I did with Greg, who is a huge part of a wonderful nonprofit called Coach Art. And this is probably my favorite nonprofit ever. Sit down, take a listen to this. It's a, a nice short episode, but you are going to learn so much about what this program does for children with chronic illness and their families in bringing in classes like things like art or music or cooking. This is a fantastic program, and Greg has so many wonderful ideas of how to scale this to being more than just a Southern California and a Bay Area proposition and bring it possibly even worldwide. Um, If you have extra funds, if you have extra time and a skill, please head over to the show notes. You cannot find a more worthy nonprofit to give your time, your money, your attention to. I have everything linked up there. And I believe you can just go to www.coacharts.com. This is a fantastic organization. Okay, so I will stop gushing. Absolutely one of my favorite things. Please forgive me during this interview. I did actually send this out to a professional editor for the first time because I was in so much pain when I was doing this interview. I sounded psychotically manic, um, and any of you have listened to me when I'm in pain before know exactly how that sounds. So I did actually try to get this shortened up to cut out my my pain and mania. Um, so thank you for being patient with me there. Also, a little housekeeping real quick. Um, Kiris, who's been the co-host for the last year, he's had to take a backseat due to some family issues. So you may have noticed that I've not gotten my emails out as quickly and we've been missing a few episodes. Um, thank you for being patient with me while I try to figure this out. I love the podcast. It's a lot of work and it looks like I might be getting some help this year with um, Eva. You might remember her from Wellacopia. So keep an ear out for some really new and wonderful developments with Invisible Not Broken and I hope you enjoy this interview and please, please, please visit visit um this nonprofit and please share it with friends and family um you really could not find a better episode to share around and get more people excited about this amazing organization hello everyone and thank you so much for joining us today with invisible not broken i have a guest i have been trying to chase down for a while i've been so excited about this nonprofit that he is a director of is that correct Executive director. Yes. Executive director of, and um, oh gosh, Greg, I'm so psyched about this because I was a sick kid. I was in bed for months at a time from being eight all the way through. And so much of what you sent me was really important about how isolating chronic illness can be. So can you tell us a little bit about what Coach Art is and how it serves chronically ill kids? Absolutely. Uh, so Coach Art is a nonprofit organization, and we do free arts and athletics programs for any child impacted by any chronic illness right now in L.A. and the Bay Area. And so part of the idea is that when kids are inpatient at children's hospitals, they get great medical care, but they also have tons of sort of extracurricular resources. Um, a lot of children's hospitals have great art therapy rooms and nonprofits that come into the hospital and do these really you know, incredible programs for kids. But more and more with medical advances, those kids are moving to outpatient and being able to, even with, with really serious diagnoses, spend more and more time at home. And that's where Coach Art comes in. We send volunteers to a child's home to try to provide arts and athletics programs that do that kind of social, social and emotional benefit for them 
that they're not getting in the children's hospital anymore. That's amazing. Even the idea that in the children's hospitals, that's changed so much. And I, I don't want to try to guess how many decades, but like it didn't used to even be like that in the hospitals. The idea that they were treating even more than the body is such a, a new and amazing concept. And especially yeah. children who don't have the verbal capabilities, even art is so important. And completely. And, and they have these, you know, the two main programs that we work with in children's hospitals are the social workers and the child life specialists. And so they have these specialists now who, like you mentioned, sort of over the last few decades have really thought about above and beyond just the medical care. What can we do here in the hospital that, that makes the experience more positive and, and treats things besides just the physical, um, you know, uh, elements of, of these conditions. And it was actually those folks, when we started the organization in 2001, which was well before I got involved, um, it was in conversations with those folks where we said, what's missing right now for the experience for these kids? And they basically told us, we feel like we've overhauled the children's hospitals to be these really immersive experiences. But now that kids are moving to outpatient, we're worried about what happens when that element drops off? We feel confident about the medical care, but we're worried about you know them not having access to these programs anymore. So it really was a suggestion from those folks, the child life uh, specialists and the social workers in the children's hospitals that led to the forming of, of CoChart. And what do you see is the benefit? What do you see as the difference in the kids who are able to access this program? So one of the things I would say, we, we define it sort of academically as socio-emotional. Right. And so the different elements that make that up in terms of confidence, socialization, et cetera. But, you know, to kind of in, in more non-academic terms, one of the things I always say is I think these kids get slapped with a label of sick child at this really formative age. And it's in an age where kids are trying on all kinds of different identities. Their, their classmates are kind of testing out. Am I an artist? Am I an athlete going out to the, to the basketball court and saying like trying this on for size and how does this feel? And so our kids both get slapped with a label that, that their family starts to think of them as the sick kid in the family. The other kids are their age start to think of them that way. And they don't. It takes special accommodations for them to be able to try on these other labels that these other kids are trying on. And so, essentially, what what I think we do in the most sort of fundamental way is let them shed this label and start to think of itself as an artist or an athlete, just like the other kids around them are doing. But it just takes additional accommodations for the for the kids in our program. Yeah, you're like hitting me in the solar plexus with all of, with what you're saying about that label of sick kid. Um, um, and even it, especially within a family, it becomes like where the siblings start looking at, OK, well, there's the sick one and they're taking all the attention and all the focus. And there's a lot there that is um, you're right. That's at a very formative age. And it's hard even for healthy kids to even be able to get the resources to try on these things with like lessons are very expensive. And yeah, yeah and I was seeing that you guys have so much there. What are some of the things you're offering? Well, by the way, it's great that you mentioned the siblings uh, because we do programming for any child with a diagnosis and their siblings. So we define it as any child impacted by childhood chronic illness, um, which for us includes both the, the actual child with a diagnosis and their siblings for exactly those reasons that you mentioned. And that often, you know, while the label itself is negative, also a lot of the family's attention is is on the child who who does have the diagnosis. And so we try to provide, you know, 
we, we started providing programming for the sibling as well to, to them uh, that. So one of the things I was wondering is this, do you also um, include children whose parents are chronically ill? Uh, we don't right okay. now. Our main mission is is childhood chronic illness, um, but there are some great uh, nonprofits out there that do camps and, and programs for children whose parents are, uh, have a have a diagnosis. So, for with them, when there's a sibling involved, do sometimes the sibling and the sick child get to do the same activity together? Is that some way that they can find a different way to bond together? Absolutely. And it's entirely up to the children, whether or not they want to do them separately and and have different coaches and learn different activities, or if they want to do them together and have it be more of a bonding experience and different families choose different options, you know, and sometimes they'll do both. Uh, Sometimes, you know, each child will want to learn two different activities and then the siblings have an additional activity that they do together. I just can't even imagine the healing in families, like especially just like creating that space for a sibling to feel like they have their own space and their own, their own experience where it's, um, I I just, I I'm blown away by this. I've never even heard of a program like this. So, and I know how that can be for, for when a sibling feels completely isolated or another sibling feels like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to keep towing the line and I'm not as important to be able to bring everything together so that everyone either can do something together and feel like there's, there's a bond there. That's, that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really amazing to be completely honest. One thing I also say is before I started the organization, I didn't, I I came on excited about the programs and, and the difference that they could make, but I was really blown away. I didn't realize until I actually got to meet the kids, how big of an impact it made. I always say, I, I kind of thought, oh, these programs are really nice. What a nice thing to do. And then it took me a while to even really put my finger on it. It was meeting the kids. It was like the impact that this had on them went well beyond what I even would have guessed. And then, you know, it wasn't until we really started to interview the families more and and start to really understand. And I think, to be honest, we're still really figuring out but you know what the basis is for for how big of an impact this has on these kids yeah well you yourself i believe you told me that you don't have chronic illness no i don't yeah and so it's um, i always talk about like there's like sick world down here and there's healthy world here and if you haven't fallen through the rabbit hole it's very hard to understand what that's like and for you to understand the isolation is it's amazing to me because a lot of people don't understand how how lonely it can be and how you really do get separated from everything else in the world yeah, absolutely. Do you have any kids stories that you can share with us that really hit you? Was did you have saying where you the first kid that you met? Uh, a million stories. <laughs> One which actually, just when you were talking about the isolation in particular, I really thought of. Um, and this wasn't the first child that I met, but it was one of the first kids that I met when I was at Cochart. And she's a young woman. I'll, I'll call her Mary. Um, she uh, suffered a, a craniofacial syndrome um, and had a lot of uh, surgeries at the hospital. And she came home from from the children's hospital and was sort of, she told me, so ashamed about the way that she looked and, and disliked the way that she looked that she would go to school. And, and even when she knew the answer in class, she didn't raise her hand because she hated the idea of kids turning around and looking at her. And when she signed up for the program, um, she asked to do the first few lessons over the phone because she still wasn't comfortable being seen by, by her actual coach. 
Um, and so she did uh, a lot of music lessons with us. Um, she worked really closely with her coach. She became more and more comfortable. And eventually she performed a violin solo at one of our first galas in front of hundreds of people in the audience and got a huge ovation. Um, and she, this was in our really early years um, and, and at one of our first ever galas. Um, and so eventually she graduated out of the program at 18 and immediately signed up to be a coach herself. And she asked specifically to work with our most shy students and to find somebody who really needed help kind of coming out of their shell. And so she worked with a young man uh, who, who I'll call Gabe, who uh, they worked together one on one. And then eventually, 10 years after her performance at our gala, she did a duet with Gabe in front of our next gala 10 years later in front of now 600 people in the audience and got another enormous uh, standing ovation. And so she really sums up, I think, both the, um, you know, the impact that it had on her as a student. And then we do have a lot of our volunteers are people who were directly impacted as a child who then want to turn around and, and improve kids with chronic illnesses behind them um, and give them experiences like they had or, or maybe like they didn't have. It's just healing all the way around. I hope you had tissues at every place during that gala. I would have needed like entire boxes of them. <laughs> uh, so how do you find the students or how do they find you? Is it through the hospitals, through the social workers? Um, is there other ways that maybe children who aren't necessarily in the hospitals or do you only serve kids who are sick enough to be in hospitals? Uh, so we serve any child impacted by any physical chronic illness that lasts more than three months and has a significant impact on their life. Um, the main way that we have for years um, uh, been referred to is, is through, the cho through the social workers, exactly like you referenced. So the vast majority of kids in our program came from referrals through, uh, from social workers at children's hospitals in L.A. or the Bay Area. Um, we're actually right now for the first time, we had a wait list of students for years um, and we just completely overhauled our programs in a, in a uh, way that I would love to, to dig into and, and explain a little bit. Yes, please. <laughs> and, and it puts us in an exciting position where now for the first time we're trying to actively recruit students beyond just the social workers. We're doing um, uh, marketing campaigns and, and letting people know that we exist. And so one of the reasons I was excited about coming on today Today is that we're looking for more people who know a child who's impacted by chronic illness that might want to participate, as well as more volunteers. Um, but yeah, the big overhaul is all around something called Coach Art Connect. Could I give you the sort of pitch about Coach Art Connect? Please do. <laughs> So for the first 15 or 16 years after we were founded in 2001, we would match the kids and the volunteers essentially by hand. And so we had regional program managers who had a list of all of the kids who had signed up for Coach Art in their region and what they wanted to learn and who was in a match or not at the moment. And then all of the volunteers and what they could teach and who was in a match or not at the moment. And the program manager's job was to match them. So it was essentially to call an email back and forth and find out who was interested in working with whom, what times they were available, where they were located. And this took, it was manual matching is what we called it. And it took hours and hours of work to create one match. And so when I came on just about three years ago, um, I wanted to use technology from the for-profit sector 
particularly mm-hmm. two-sided marketplace platforms um, that are similar to Lyft, Airbnb, you know, um, anything in which you can set up two sides to be able to, to match with each other. And so now that's exactly what we have. Uh, it's an entirely online training and background check uh, and then a Skype interview um, for the new volunteers. And then you can see a map of the CoChart kids near you, what they want to learn, and you can sort it by distance and by activity, choose the student or students that you want to work with, put in what chunks of time you're available, hit submit, and then the parent will instantly get a text message that you're interested, What when you can come to the home, what you're willing to teach. The parent chooses what time works for them. They hit submit, and then you both get an email putting you in touch with each other. And so now it's reduced the staff time, which was our major kind of um, barrier to making matches, from over seven hours of staff time to make one match to now under 17 minutes. And we're now able to service a lot more kids and volunteers than ever before. I love technology. This is part of what I love about technology is that it allows for things that just were not possible. You couldn't expand from that. You're currently in California and just um, Bay Area and L.A., but with a system like that, it almost seems like you could franchise. Franchise is probably the wrong word, but that sounds like something that, that could actually be a usable, scalable model for something that could extend even internationally. Absolutely. And so we're launching a, we're working on our strategic plan right now that we're going to launch in January about how we want to roll this out in more places. And it's interesting you say franchise, because one thing I've said, and you don't really think about franchises with nonprofit, but realistically, that that's exactly the right word for the way nonprofits have expanded for, you know, up until now is uh, having a model that works in one city and and investing in opening a brick and mortar office with a another similar staff and a board, et cetera, in another city, and then doing that sort of franchise model city by city. Whereas what we're trying to do is a platform-based expansion where you don't need to have the brick and mortar and the staff and the board. And we can just, um, we want to have one staffer on the ground for now in each place that we expand to. Our next area, uh, city is San Diego that we're eyeing to have one person on the ground just to facilitate. But then otherwise it's just on the platform. Volunteers will be coming in through our usual channels, students will be coming in and they'll be matching with each other um, on the platform, but resulting in the same, you know, in-person matches that we've had before with the volunteer knocking on the student's door and doing a match, but it's just overhauling everything that leads up to that. So where does your funding come from? Is this through donation or through a a foundation? Yeah, we're entirely funded through donations. Um, We have two big gala events, one in San Francisco and and one in LA. Um, And then we just have generous supporters who support us online um, and, uh, and make these programs possible. Which by the way, listeners, please, everywhere you are, if you go to our show notes, right at the very top, I will have a button that will say donate, just hit that. You'll be able to donate to this amazing program. Uh, What are some of the things that you do have for teachers? Is there any, is it just art and sports or is there dance? Like what kind of things are available? Sure. So we define arts and athletics really broadly. Um, and really, it's anything that uh, a student, a, a coach is able to teach and a student wants to learn, where people can input what they're willing to teach and what the student wants to learn. And so it's really almost anything can qualify for the program. Um, on the sports side, you know, your typical sports, basketball, baseball, soccer, 
Um, and then on the art side, there's a lot of music lessons, um, a lot of art lessons, drawing and painting, but then, uh, more and more sort of general wellness and holistic wellness has become something that's really popular on both sides. Meditation, yoga, cooking lessons, um, have become really popular. That's one of our fastest growing, uh, areas of interest over the last few years. And so it's really almost anything sort of extracurricular that a student wants to learn and a coach is willing to coach and we'll match them together. That's just amazing. I mean, like, one of the things I've always said about technology is that, um, the people who are against technology are usually not the sick ones because mm. there's a way that the technology can actually expand your life and your worldview to everything. I just can see so many possibilities for this with technology and what is available to kids and uh, being able to write books, like, and being able to even do publishing of books just from, from iPads. It's, there's just a lot of ways to get a voice out there and even like their own videos, their own documentaries. There's, there's so much that they can learn, especially in LA with, um, there could be a lot of people there who could do a lot of, of teaching for things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And sorry, that reminds me of another quick story. Please, stories. <laughs> so we have some amazing corporate partners as well, one of whom is Disney, um, who supports us financially and also provides these great programs for the kids where the students get to work with individual Disney employees from different departments every year. And one of the recent ones they did was the book publishing department. And so our students got to work with the folks who actually create the books and publish the books on, on all of the different, you know, movies and stories, et cetera. And so they got to choose their favorite uh, movie that they wanted to work with, write their own story with those characters. And then they published full on books, the same ones that come out in the stores with a little intro page about the authors that were about our kids. Um, and they were just amazing to read and, and so funny and creative. And the, the folks from Disney said, yeah, we, we need to hire them on. They, you know, they, these, We've got really creative ideas that uh, could be our next best-selling books. That is that's so exciting, and I think for just any child to see that they exist and are there, it's so important. But when you're when you're isolated, it's, it's just even more so. Um, for what would you be able to do with this um, with this nonprofit if money and time weren't an issue? What would be like the ultimate dream of where this could go for? So there are more than 12 million children impacted by a chronic illness in the United States alone. Um, and then you add in their siblings and, and that probably, you know, doubles in terms of the, the number of kids who would be eligible for this program. And so our dream and vision is that all of those kids across the United States and then eventually globally will have a platform where they can log on in, in their um, neighborhood and say, here are the things that I would love to learn. And that anybody who lives down the street from them can sign on to the program and say, oh, this child lives three blocks down from me and they want to learn this activity. They want to learn a sport that I grew up playing myself. Sure thing. I can come on Tuesday after evenings or I can come on Saturday afternoons. And so that this program would be available to all of those kids across the United States to, to be able to, you know, improve their lives and help them try on additional identities like we were discussing. So how was it that you got involved? I'm sorry. How was it that you got involved in the program? 
So I've been in the nonprofit sector uh, for about 10 years. Um, I uh, got involved just over three years ago. Um, and just in my very first sort of interview with them, um, I was really interested in the programs themselves. But then I was particularly fascinated. My kind of thesis in nonprofit has been that we aren't, as a sector, kind of entrepreneurial enough and don't use marketing and technology and sort of tools and skills from the for-profit sector that they use to have this big impactful growth on things like rideshare, you know, like we mentioned with, with Lyft and Uber, why can't we use this same technology to have big impactful growth on having kids impacted by chronic illness, be able to think of themselves differently. And so I was both really moved by the mission but also really moved by the opportunity that we were serving about a thousand kids in LA and the Bay area and just had, you know, from the very first or second interview could see how this platform could allow to serve so many more kids. So what I was really curious about is how do volunteers lives look like, what does that kind of commitment look like for them? Sure. So uh, the commitment is to do eight one hour lessons um, and then at the end of those eight lessons, both the volunteer and the student have the choice as to whether or not they want to roll over and do eight more lessons after that. Um, there's kind of two main groups of people that we find volunteer. Uh, we call them um, art and athletics enthusiasts and seasoned children's volunteers. And arts and athletics enthusiasts are folks who have a real passion for a particular art or athletic skill. And they're excited about the idea of taking their guitar skill, for instance, and being able to use that to improve the life of a child. Their number one drawback we find is that they're worried that they're going to do or say the wrong thing with a child impacted by chronic illness and that the stakes are feel high to them and that they don't want to kind of mess it up. And so in our training, a big part of the training is getting comfortable and how to talk to children if they bring up their illness, you know, uh, how to not bring it up if, if they don't bring it up, kind of dealing with getting people comfortable with, with uh, working with kids impacted by chronic illness. The second group that seasoned children volunteers, they're really comfortable talking to the kids and that's not a concern of theirs. And they might have worked with kids before and that they have a real affinity for it. Their biggest concern is always, do I have a skill that's good enough? Am I good enough at something that a child wants to learn it? And I can tell you, looking through the skills that all of our coaches coach is always a reminder to me of how many things I'm not good at. <laughs> all the things out there that you could teach. But the thing that we always tell them is, Number one, that, that the skill itself is usually just kind of a vehicle for confidence building, socialization, et cetera. And to teach, we serve kids who are five to 18 years old. Oh. And to teach a five, six or seven year old, almost anything is largely really introductory. And if you can scramble an egg, there's a child who wants to learn that skill from you as, as a cooking lesson. Or if you know how to shoot a basketball, there's a child who just wants kind of basic introduction to basketball in that regard. And so, you know, we'll work with you to match you with a child where you do not have to be a pro athlete to be able to, to teach whatever, uh, you know, whatever skill it is that you've signed up for. So, so those are kind of the two main groups and, and the kind of, drawbacks and how we work with them on, on each of those. And what's the minimum age for a volunteer? Uh, minimum age is 18 um, for our uh, typical volunteer program. We do also have a program called Junior Volunteers, which is a little bit different. They need to always be paired with an adult, um, but that's high school age. That's amazing. Do, um, do 
do people come to you to get school credit also? Like, was there a program for where um, people who are doing like uh, psychology majors or teaching majors, are they able to also use this as part of their hours? Yep, absolutely. Um, so every person has a local program manager in their area who can answer all of the questions and, and work with them about any kind of um, eligibility that they need for, for hours for a program. I almost feel like for your um, how to handle and discuss illness, chronic illness needs to be a YouTube video for everyone to be able to access. It's um, even for adults. I think one of the biggest things that everyone struggles with when someone starts getting sick is how do I talk to this person? How do and even those of us with chronic illness struggle a lot with, okay, this works for me. How is that going to work for someone else? That'd be a great, um, kind thing to do for the general public. <laughs> yeah. And, and we have something called coach corner for our coaches where we give them access to lesson plans and, and some of our materials about how to work with, um, work with, with students. And it used to be that that was only available to our trained volunteers once they made it through the system, but more and more we're turning that into public, uh, content and releasing it via our blog and our social channels. Um, and so, you know, we're doing exactly that and, and be on the lookout for that material coming out. So how can someone help like from the highest level of uh, someone who lives in Indiana or someone who lives in Mexico, we have a very wonderful international audience. I'm sure people are listening is going, I really want this in my country, my state. How can they go about helping get that to where they are? Sure. So right now we're just in the planning phases of kind of figuring out what uh, what the kind of um, process is for even choosing which cities we'll be going to next. Um, part of that process is we're hoping to have what we call a champion in each city who's somebody that's kind of a board of directors level involvement where they advise strategically and link us with potential uh, funding partners and, and things like that. And so uh, we're at the stage right now where they could just reach out to our team directly uh, via our website. Um, coachart.org and tell us that they're interested in, in being a champion. We really are at the very beginning of that process and kind of rolling that out. Um, at the other level, of course, just uh, we're trying to build up the funding. We're launching our, our fundraising campaign to expand to more cities. And so, of course, like any other nonprofit, um, funding to make that possible is, is really appreciated. That's amazing. So please, if you're listening to this, this will probably be going out in December, which means you are just in time if you're in the United States for tax season. If you are looking for a wonderful way to donate and have that count for your taxes, please, please, please go to our show notes, click the donate button. And this is probably the best thing you can do with your money for the holiday season. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, I don't think so. This was great. Thank you so much for Uh, doing this podcast. It's it's a a hugely valuable thing, I think, for everybody involved. And um, thank you so much. My goodness, anytime you guys are rolling something out or are needing another boost, please just contact me, come back on the podcast. And um, all of my usual listeners, if you're curious why I sound a little off today, I did dislocate my knee right before this. Um, So please forgive me for being a little spacey today, but thank you so much for being so patient. I really appreciate that. if there's nothing yeah, of else, course, and I hope you feel better. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. The joy of chronic illness. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, thank you so much. And for everyone, uh, please go over to our show notes. I will have everything fully linked and until next week, be kind, be gentle and be a badass.